0: Welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. And in this podcast, we're hoping to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And given that this is sort of the part two in the series... Um, we're still sponsored by a bottle of Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc and a bottle of Jacob's Creek. Double barrel Shiraz. Um, but I'm sad to say that there is remarkably little wine left in those bottles. <laughs> so you'll have to tell us whether that's affected the, the podcast or perhaps improved it. We'll have to see how it goes a bit later. But Gareth, we actually, <laughs> we probably did a very bad job in the, in the last episode because we we started to scratch the surface of operational art um but i i think we maybe we failed on the yes but what what's the first thing you might do to do it so gareth remind us there were there were two parts you talked about one as it were before and after let's start with that and then let's really go down and go into detail about how you would practically turn your sort of your strategy and your goals into tactical actions
1: sure thing um, I think to start with, for our listeners who haven't listened to the previous episode, firstly, I, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that first. But but if you haven't and you're not going to, it's worth just recapping what, what we actually mean by operational art. And that's this idea of if strategy is the attainment or achievement of objectives over the long term under conditions of uncertainty, and tactics is the application of capability to achieve tasks. It's the magic source in between that makes stuff happen in order to achieve long-term strategic goals, which is the eternal question, isn't it? It's, you know, We all talk a great game about the need to be more adaptable, the need to be more resilient, the need to be better aware of changes in the environment and allowing our organisations to to respond accordingly and then we kind of always always sort of stop at the what do we need to do yeah yeah absolutely and we talked a lot about the way that we need to do things and but I'm not sure as you said I'm not sure we scratch the itch of what is it you do if you are in a position of authority within a an organization operational art is the answer and it's an art because it's not a science and, and that sounds quite facetious, but but by that I mean we're not analysing to death to the nth degree because we're dealing with complexity. There isn't the availability of all the information. And it's not an
0: algorithm. And actually, as we talked, I think, quite well, this is not something where you can just have a computer and the computer will give you the right idea, uh, the right answer yeah. necessarily.
1: And we ended at the, the end of the last episode talking you know, quite deeply about the interplay of human dynamics, of judgment on these complex systems and problems. So what do you do? Well, the first thing you need to do is think about campaign design, and then we need to think about campaign management. So in in another way of saying it, the first bit is creating
0: the plan, and the second one is executing successfully the plan, given what happens.
1: Absolutely recognizing of course that it's not a linear function so we're not going away designing something it's brilliant it's perfect roll it out execute it and this very much relates to you know the the episode we did on agile
0: yeah well hopefully there's a lot of people awkwardly going wait you mean you don't plan Put the plan down and then execute. Because I mean, this is something we mentioned in the last episode: quarterly planning, yearly planning, by direct implications, life. But but yeah. let, I mean, let's not worry about that. Yeah. The the point you're making is that this this is
1: an iterative it's process, an iterative cyclical process. Parts of it happen concurrently, and of course. The situation always is evolving, it's dynamic, it's developing, the enemy has a vote, but we have to be cognizant of the fact that we are making assumptions based on incomplete, flawed, and sometimes incorrect information.
0: Let's I, 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 Before we started, I promised, you know, I'm not going to talk as much this one because we've got a lot to get through, but actually, as always, I can't stop myself. <laughs> you we we talked about this iterative process this idea that you plan execute plan execute plan execute I suspect there'll be lots of people saying well of course we do that you know we do I'll go Mm. back to my analogy of quarterly planning and then we have weekly meetings I I want to challenge the audience are you really planning executing iterating planning execute or are you, and this is from personal experience, all too often planning, executing, spending time looking at dashboards of numbers that you can all nod and agree at yes. and not changing anything. In other yes. words, yeah. your your key statement is, as we talked about from Agile, is inspect, adapt, inspect, adapt. And I I think there are too many organizations who inspect, 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 almost to the point where the act of inspection, the act of how are we doing on the plan and reporting on that becomes far more important than
1: did we achieve the goal. Yeah. I was introduced to a quote the other day. It was from one of my Canadian colleagues, but it originates from an individual from the Israeli Defence Force. And he said, in business, if you don't innovate, The business dies, but the people will go on. In the military, if you don't innovate, the system will endure, but people may die. And I think there's something in there in that I've worked a lot, clearly in my previous role in the military, but I've also worked as a consultant now with both commercial and non-commercial government, uh, NGOs, all sorts of organisations. And those that are driven by a clear objective metric, i.e., profit, sustainability through turnover, um, innovate through necessity. Organizations that are funded, but that funding is almost disconnected to any kind of measure of output, endure and find it much harder to innovate because there's no red flashing light saying we're we're making less money this this quarter, what's changed? There's a really important aspect to this. You talked about iterate between plan and execute, but of course we have to assess and analyze. So the operational art cycle by, by UK doctrine, it's relatively unimportant that the language you use, but it's this concept of having feedback loops, both from internally within the organization but also externally from the environment and the effect of the change that you're having and the effect and the change that other people in the environment, your competitors, your adversaries, the enemy are having. And if you don't ask the right questions, quite often what you end up doing is thinking you're going through this iterative cycle and actually just confirming your own biases. Because if you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. And if you've created the wrong culture where people can't challenge, and we've talked about the value of diversity. We've talked about the need for countering heuristics and bias. But if you get that wrong, what you end up with is go and find me the information that confirms that what we're doing is the right thing. I'm going to drag us back because I've done it again where I've taken this away, but it's,
0: I've seen far too many times, success is data. Yeah. How are we doing against the plan? Well, let me, yeah. we should make KPIs because I've read the KPIs are good. Okay, have we got enough KPIs? Are they the right KPIs? And you you endlessly spend all your effort gathering or managing data. And when actually you could have just stepped back and said, I can tell you how we're doing. We need yeah. to do differently. And there's a very common one, which is in in my world, which is people analyzing the number of bugs. It's yes. a classic one. We've, yeah. we've done a load of work in software. Let's have a chart on how many bugs we've got. And we yeah. look at it every week and we go, hmm, that's a number. Yeah. And we don't actually talk about is it a good number? Is it a bad number? Has it changed? What would we do to change it? So inspect and adapt, yeah. not just report back meaningless things. Anyway, yeah. no, I'm gonna I'm gonna drag us back because I'm doing good. it again. Let's go back to the planning, the campaign planning. Talk about the key components
1: of it. Yeah. So Campaign design, the first thing you need to do is to analyze the problem. So we've got our strategic objectives. We've already done the strategic planning. We've already done the strategic big thinking. What do we need to achieve? How does that look? What is the vision? Now what we've got to do is start to situate that in the current context of the problem. And there are two aspects to this. There is, what is my organization? what are its requirements? What are its needs in terms of resources, in terms of information, in terms of direction? But also, what is the external environment? And in a military sense, we call this intelligence. Now, we're starting to question whether there's actually a a delineation between information from the external environment and information from the internal environment. And in in a digital age, I would argue that actually it's more useful to think about this as a a cloud of data Mm. from which you can answer questions about both the internal and external, because they are related and they have an effect on each other. But just to to bring back to the military for a moment, we're talking about the operating environment. So how does weather, terrain, and other people, primarily the the adversary, the enemy, affect what I'm trying to do?
0: Very parallel what is our competition doing? What, what people do we have? And, and I was just thinking as you were talking ahead, I'm always trying to think about how we can apply this. This one I think actually might be business and military. There was an exercise I once did where we were planning and we were saying, if this is where we need to get to, what would an organization look like at that point of success? Because what I thought was really useful about that, that was yeah. getting you to think not just what people have I got today and how should I shuffle them around the board? Yeah. What, what do I need to evolve and develop to? So I think that, that analysis of what have I got now and what might that have to look
1: like? But Yeah, I think and, that- and you've, you've sort of quite neatly actually moved on to the next one, which is refine and develop ideas. So once you have an understanding of what is it I'm being asked to do, what do we need to achieve? What is the current situation? What's the ground around me look like? What is the environment that I operate in? And that's both physical...
0: Yeah, competition, partners, market, technology
1: changes. What are the other people doing? What are the enemy doing? What are their capabilities? What's the competitor doing? What are they thinking? How are they going to act differently? Um, We then move into refine and develop ideas. And this is where we drag it all the way back to our arguments around diversity, diversity of thinking, diversity of experience, diversity of teams, so that we can start to really pull apart our old paradigms of what's worked before, why it may or may not work now, and what can we do to get that advantage against the competitor? Because, if you think about problems in isolation, you can't be analytical. You've got to be creative.
0: So, so let's talk. I mean, let's without going into too much detail. Diversity, I think, diversity is a, a thing we've talked about in the past. You're you're in, and I'll try and tackle it at a at a business level. But in a in a military unit, you're in the Royal Marines. You're going through this process. What does diversity mean? Because you can't hire someone in, presumably. Yeah. What does diversity mean as you're building that plan? How do you ensure that in that campaign planning process, you have that creativity and diversity? Well, well firstly,
1: you can hire people in and a big part of leadership, a big part of operational artists is creating the formation, creating the organization. And so you, you do to a greater or lesser extent, have some control over these things. Um, and of course, that is something you need to be getting after. But As you've said before, you also have to fight with what you've got. You get diversity of thought by having different people, different backgrounds, different experiences. And so diversity is diversity. So there is no such thing as diversity for fairness and diversity for operational effectiveness. There is just diversity. And we don't know until we get to the point of creating ideas where the value lies. So I'm 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 pushing
0: you because I think one of the things that that I was thinking about talking about, or at least I think it's a point of addressing diversity, is look tomorrow I sit down and say we're going to come up with a plan. Yeah, I, I've got the people I've got, but I think diversity comes in the sense of diversity is bringing people who aren't normally involved in the planning process, yes. new people to the business, or junior people who have different perspectives, and so maybe that maybe the better way to define it is. Not being diverse is the three people who always sit in the room having that conversation. If that's what you get, you're not being diverse.
1: Yeah. So I think there are, there are two litmus tests. And, And one is you look around the room and say, how much have we got in terms of diversity? And again, that you've got to be open to different types of idea like diversity here, but You go around the room and you look at who we've got. So I've just come back from being at a three-day conference looking at command and control. And everybody was talking about the need to be resilient and agile and the fact they've got to empower more people. They've got to delegate decisions, take more risk, be more diverse. And yet this was a conference that over three days was primarily old white men who are senior military officers, standing on a stage, talking to an audience of slightly younger, but still quite old, white men. There were some females in the audience. Out of probably about 20 speakers, there were, I think, two females. There was two non-white Caucasian males. And from the military speakers, there was a, a mix of military, uh, commercial and academia. But from the military speakers, the lowest rank was full colonel, which to, to a non-military audience, that is a fairly senior middle manager in the military. The Perhaps you might say someone who
0: hasn't been sitting in a trench recently.
1: Absolutely. And yet they were all talking about the fact that we should be listening to the ideas of, you know, A greater, more diverse audience, we should be taking more risk, we should be thinking about things differently. And so there's the first litmus test is are we doing what we're saying we're doing? Are we actually taking advantage of the diversity that we currently have? And then the second thing is, do we have access to the right group of minds and and, and ideas? And there was a lot of value that I think in our conversation around how you generate creativity through play through through taking people out of their comfort zones and, and sort of expressing new ideas and articulating ideas through visualization. And we don't do enough of that in the military. From the businesses I've worked with, outside of the startups to small scale-ups, we don't do enough of that in big industry either. And we talk about the need for diversity and then we default to this kind of idea of I've got to hit numbers diversity is a challenging, complex topic. It is shrouded in, you know, uh, history, it's shrouded in politics. But ultimately, it's a leadership responsibility to empower, to motivate, to make people feel valued. And it creates that access to new thinking.
0: I I think the thing about that as well is that there's
1: no excuse for not
0: doing it because it's pretty simple yeah. however you do it but let's go back so we've right. we've we've dragged us out ourselves down out again we're we're still in planning keep going yeah. what, what so, are the other elements well, think, of planning I, I think we've hit
1: you know you frame the problem and we've talked about war gaming we've talked about ideation in the past we've talked about refining and developing ideas you do that through uh getting different perspectives uh, and i think one, one, perhaps one aspect of that we haven't necessarily focused on is uh, whilst looking at diverse thinking, we also need to get diverse experience from within the organisation as well. So if you've got a really diverse board, brilliant, but actually you need to get practitioners, operators, middle managers, HR, yeah. marketing, yeah. finance in there as well. Um, and you need to not only have them in the room, but you need to have them in the room and engaged. So, it doesn't happen on the day that you're doing well. You can't have them
0: sitting in the corner going, I can't say anything. I can't say
1: anything because my boss is in here and my boss's boss is in here.
0: So, you've you've I think you've talked about ingredients, Mm. but and and I and maybe this isn't the right particular episode to talk about how might you do that? Like, what would be the first thing you do? But I I want to pick on one thing, which is measurement. And yep. measuring outcomes, because I, I said a few minutes ago, something that over the years instinctively I get nervous about is when we spend more time reporting, and 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 we we end up being focused on the bias of I have to show you everything is green yeah. rather than what we're doing. But I but I don't want that to be misconstrued. I think a really important part of planning are the signposts that tell you you are making progress. In fact, we we talked about this. Mm. However, many weeks ago, B hags and three hags. The the value of the three hag, another way of simply describing it is there are signposts that indicate progress rather than activity. And this is a phrase yes. I use a lot in my life, where too many places I've been, people measure activity, not yep. progress. So what, what does the army have to say in the planning process about? measurement of success you or is it straight so-
1: away got my back up by saying the army so <laughs> i'm a raw marine what does defense talk about well we talk about effects based planning this is a really important concept from strategy down to tactics what are you trying to effect? how are you trying to affect it what are you going to do what actions and activities will you take to affect it And then when you get to this concept of mission command that we've mentioned several times before, we might not tell people what actions and activities to take. What we might do is tell them what effect we want them to achieve. So effect-based planning, what does that mean, though? Well, it means identifying targets. And a target might, at first thought of it, be deemed as something you're going to shoot at or kill or destroy or, you know, our ordnance at but a target in a military definition is simply something you want to affect now that might be destroy so i want to remove it from the battlefield but a equally valid target might be something i want to reassure enable convince reinforce secure
0: but it's interesting you're
1: these are effects i want to. so
0: I, I i i entirely agree and i think you know applying it to my world and i think almost talking about what you should track versus not track i get in a lot of trouble and i'm inclined to track did we build a thing yeah and building yes. a thing is not an effect building a thing is the activity to achieve an effect so yes my effect would be i would like A thousand more people to use my software and therefore pay us money or whatever it might be so i i i I agree i think the effect the outcome the effect is a key thing to identify yes but i'm i I mean you you also have to measure yes i mean this is how good you are so so this is this is so for me there's an element of we wish to take market share from this customer. We can track that. We wish a number of active users, which indicates yeah. progression. Yeah. These are good. What What do you do? Sorry, in the Royal Marines, before I get in trouble, <laughs> there was a there was
1: a flash well, there. I mean, not the let's, army. Let's talk about defence, because because firstly, a lot of these concepts are far more than the Royal Marines, and, and secondly. Um, yeah, I don't want to fall into the trap of being parochial. When, no, when but I'm, I, I'm interested because to, you know. it
0: strikes me that that actually, the reason why I asked the question is because it strikes me that what we would describe as KPIs, what we would describe as numbers you can track, yeah. I don't know whether that makes sense in the military. I don't think it doesn't, but I like. what do you do?
1: It I, does, it does make sense. But it makes sense within this framework of what we call MOP and MOE. So MOP is measurement of performance, MOE, measurement of effectiveness. And you can't measure effectiveness unless you've measured performance, and you can't measure effectiveness unless you've linked your assumptions about performance to what effect it's gonna have. So give me some examples of measurements of performance. So I'm gonna start with a very personal example. Look at me,
0: Chris, have I lost weight? Uh, This is a trick question. You've just indicated you're a raw marine. Of course you've lost weight. Well, that's an assumption, but you don't have any data
1: to go off, do you? I lost weight. I don't know. You look you slightly know. slimmer. Okay. If you were going to answer that question effectively, you would need to know... Your weight? Either what weight I was before or what proxy you're going to use to analyse my weight. A visual proxy, you know, you look like you've dropped a belt size. Or, so you would have had to have seen me over several weeks, months. The second part of that question is, what have I done to lose weight? Because if my assumption is, I want to lose weight, I want to uh, you know, get a good beach body because the summer's coming up, so I'm going to drink less beer and do more running. That's my actions. I'm going to take the action of running and drinking less beer to achieve the effect of losing weight. Well, that's great. Now we can start to say, we now know what your measurement of performance is going to be. Have you been running every day like you said you were going to? Well, actually, I didn't get up on Saturday morning because it turns out I went and drank some beer in the pub. So my performance is dropping off. Weigh myself once a week, I've got a metric from which I can say, but I am losing weight slowly. So I'm, I, I mean, I, I think these are all good. The, the reason why I've kind of got that look on
0: my face is because... It, it's a fuzzy line between activity and, and outcome. So, that, I, I, well, it, so, can, it can be. So I, hmm. I could go for a run every day and I could actually not become fitter for whatever yeah. reason. So, 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 uh,
1: so if you measure how often you go running, you're measuring performance. I went running every day. Brilliant. You've done brilliantly. You've done what I asked you to do. Have you lost any weight? No. Okay. Well, that's not your fault. Because I told you to go running every day. And now we're starting to separate out effect from responsibility. So you haven't achieved what I told you to achieve, but that's not your fault. That's based on the fact that the assumption we made about running and losing weight are linked. Well, perhaps what we didn't do was talk about your diet. So suddenly I can start to say, all right, Chris, this isn't working. So what we're going to need to do is we're going to continue to go running every day, but we also need to have a look at what you're eating, and and this is where we've talked in the past about you know commanders or people in a position of authority being able to empower and not blame people for things going wrong. Yeah, absolutely. if you are not losing weight, but you've done what you've done what you were asked to do brilliant you're not at fault we we collectively now need to learn the lesson i i agree
0: i mean i'm i know i know this is probably quite a sort of a tenuous point but there's a, there's a i i, I sometimes well, i sometimes struggle with this which is we should have a meeting about a thing we should have a series of meetings about a thing you could argue as performance the risk is does that actually lead to a useful outcome and yeah. i i why, i mean i and i don't i don't think this needs to be a a, a a, a sort of a semantic argument i i've just recently had a conversation with my teams about goals for the year yep. and measuring performance okay and and my approach is you guys are smart demonstrate to me that you're making progress, come up with some measures that help you demonstrate you're making progress. Just don't come and tell me I did a thing this month and therefore if I keep telling you that will be good. So I think it's the difference between those two There's two important aspects
1: to this. One is once you've made the assumption, the link between the assumption of, I'm going to do an activity in order to achieve an effect, or I'm going to get somebody in my organization or a group of people to do an activity in order to achieve an effect. The second aspect of that is, do I currently know what the measure is, what the metric is? I think this is the trick. So I've asked you to go and lose weight. Do I know what you weigh now so that in six weeks I can have a really good understanding of whether this has been effective or not? Secondly, have I made it clear what, from my perspective, success looks like? Because you could go running every day. You could absolutely dig out blind, work really hard, get up at 5am, go running every day, but also go to the pub every night and drink loads of beer. And over six weeks, you could lose half a kilo. But if all I've said is go running to lose weight, you go, hey, well, I lost weight. Well, we've also, where is success on that metric? And, and if, if we look at this from a operational art perspective, Let's drag it back to the military. If a commander says, I need to dislocate the enemy, so dislocate is a well-understood effect. And what we effectively mean is, I am going to remove their ability to coordinate activity. And so what you see there is a breakdown of their coordination. So dislocation, you say quite often an effect a commander wants to have on a force. And one of the primary ways of doing that is to strike, attack their command and control. And there are two obvious ways of attacking command and control. You can remove their command, kill their leaders, or you can remove their control, kill their communications. So what you end up with now is, I am going to have an effect on their command and control in order to dislocate. Now, a planning team will then go away and come up with ideas and this is where di- that diversity thing comes in. And somebody might say, well, we can drop a bomb on their headquarters. And somebody else might say, well, actually, we've got this zero-day attack. And we could do a cyber you know, effect and remove their ability. Or we could just barrage jam the electromagnetic frequency. or Whatever it is, we now have an action we're going to take to an effect the commander wants. Now what we've got to do is say, how are we going to know if we've been
0: successful or
1: we go and do the attack? Well,
0: and let me, well, and even during the attack. So I mean, in my world, we talk about leading and lagging indicators.
1: Yes. And
0: I think this this is a really this is a good maybe this was where I sort of started to (coughs) talk about this about measurement, because my challenge is there are often things that I have to do for six months before there is a clear and obvious evidence that yeah. something has happened. So, for example, it might be, I wish to have 500 new customers using this tool. The problem is I have to build it, I have to sell it, yeah. and then 500 people use it. So saying to me on day one, have you sold it to 100 new customers doesn't work. That's a that's a lagging indicator that I was successful. Yeah. It's finding those ways of measuring, and I... I I don't have a, a fabulous sort of simple way of working out what those leading indicators are. I, I guess one of the things that I've I've said in the past is if we were to be successful, what are the things that we would expect to be true. Yes. And, and therefore, you're rather than measuring the outcome, you're saying, did we achieve the things that we would expect would need to be true before we achieve the successful Absolutely. outcome?
1: Absolutely. So there's several aspects to unpack there, but within the operational art, there is, what are the commander's effects? What do we want to achieve? And there are, what are the supporting effects that we need to achieve in order to get that? This is the leading Leading and then indicators. there are what are the questions that we need to ask? And from that, what do we need to baseline? And baseline is saying, what is current current activity, the current situation? What do you weigh now before we go on this exercise regime to work out whether you've lost weight? And and this is where these things often break down because it's it's really exciting when a commander comes in or or a senior leader in business comes in and says, I've had this epiphany or I've thought about this overnight and and this is what we're going to do to achieve the strategy. And it's really exciting because everybody goes, right, brilliant, I've got something to work to. What we then don't do is say, right, that's all based on assumption because we don't know what the enemy are going to do. We don't know what the competitors are going to do. It's all based on incomplete and flawed information and you know all the other things we've talked about. Let's go and test the current situation. Let's measure the current situation from which we're going to baseline to then work out what the change we expect is, theory of change, where on that spectrum of change is the CEO or the commander or whoever, yeah. the boss, happy to accept we're ready to move on to the next bit. I'm, I mean, we, we should stop for a break
0: in a second. And I I fear that I've shared this story before, but I think this idea of setting the baseline is so valuable. Many, many years ago, when data was starting to become a thing in the software world, we started getting excited about active users, monthly active users, weekly active yeah. users. Wow and Mao. that was mm. the big word. And it was not, what i realize now looking back with hindsight and a few extra years is that we had not baseline things so i remember we would look at this monthly and weekly number and it would it would you know it would grow and then all of a sudden one week it took a massive dip and we thought oh my god what's gone wrong there's some disruptor in the market that has absolutely catastrophically impacted our business customers are running away and then someone said Oh, it's half term no one's using our software because they're looking after their kids and i think that was a yeah. perfect example of you've got to baseline to understand what does normal look like yeah and what's influence all right well look let's 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 call it for a break there i think we went on a little bit longer i think we've started to scratch the planning mm. so i wonder whether after the break we come back and maybe talk about the execution piece. okay yeah all right see you uh, straight after this break <laughs> welcome back to battling with business we've been uh, talking about operational art now for an episode and a half we finally so we we we've i think we've talked a bit now about campaign design what are the things to think about and how might you start to approach campaign design we talked about framing the problem refining and developing ideas talking about vision revising the plan and in fact just before the break we started talking about how you might measure your progress i was very careful about those words but we've let's let's come on and talk about campaign management now or i mean i i know the term campaign management that's the military doctrine for me it's about execution how do you go and do it
1: yes yeah so i think uh, there's, there's a thing we have to recognize here which is you are managing other people's execution because we are delegating the authority responsibility and accountability to go and achieve stuff that's the, the fundamental kind of idea around mission command. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, you can navel gaze a problem to death, and you can think about complexity, and you can dwell on how you'd like the world to be. But until you actually start making an impact, start doing stuff, you can't really tell whether your plan is going to work. And of course, the enemy gets a vote. The enemy gets to counterattack or ambush or lure you into a dilemma that you thought you'd absolutely got this nailed and what you've done is commit all your resources to yesterday's news. And so you constantly have to, as we before the break started to talk about measure, not just performance, but effectiveness. Are we achieving what we strategically want to achieve? And there's a framework we use called the OOEA framework. So If there's an overall outcome, these are your strategic objectives. This is what you want to do. In a military context, you know, this is our stabilisation of the nation so that the coalition can come home and they can have free and fair elections. What do we need to do to allow that to happen? So if we think about, it's a pertinent, because we're at the 25th anniversary, but the, the Iraq invasion and subsequent campaign the political outcome was an independent free fair democratic iraq free of terrorism and free of weapons of mass destruction and free of the, the despotic control of the saddam regime the Baptist party different podcast probably not yeah i was podcast, about to say i bet to there's some people some people or, screaming
0: at the that, radio at the uh the device of this but that was, that yeah. was
1: the strategic outcome at a geopolitical level. Objectives then, what's the military role? What's the diplomatic role? What's the aid, non government agency aid role? What's the role of the various political factions within Iraq? And they've all got to be done in concert. So there's a, there's a management of strategy, there's an operational art above the military at this level then what is the military objectives? What are we there to do? And that's where the commanders, the generals, that's where they earn their money. And they have their staff and they're going through this operational art process to design their campaigns and then adapting those campaigns as they go through. They develop the effects they want to achieve. And then they work out what actions and activities they're going to conduct in order to achieve those effects, what they think is going to do that, and some of that's really, really obvious, and some of it's based on really, you know, very vague assumptions. So, if it's dislocate, we talked about before the break this idea of a dislocate effect, then the destroy of the command and control node is a quite obvious action that you will take, and the the actual action that is then planned orchestrated might be to fly a fast jet to drop a bomb onto a GPS position. And you might have to put troops on the ground to lay that and all sorts of tactics. But ultimately, the destruction of that C2 node is the secondary effect. It's going to achieve the primary effect of dislocation. How are you going to measure that? Well, what's the baseline of current coherence of that force? Well, we might measure that through the amount of radio communications traffic Mm. or the observation of how cohered that particular force is on the ground and then measure it after the destruction of that command and control agent and see the difference. So you go from this outcomes, objectives, effects, activities. Now what we've got to start doing is start to integrate these various things because as you go down that framework, your outcome is probably singular. There are probably several overarching objectives. There are going to be tens, if not hundreds, of effects, and then there are going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of actions and activities. I was going to say, it's funny,
0: as we were talking about this, I was about to drag us back there and say, I got a bit nervous just then because it sounded like there's a person in a room saying, "We're going to do this."
1: Yeah, they yeah. write
0: it down on a bit of paper, and twenty thousand people Don't are, do stuff are told yeah, you. No, and, totally and I not. and I and I I think what you've implied there is actually it is not a singular planning activity. And we've talked about inspect and adapt. So we're talking mm. it. but there's another aspect to this, which is a, a cascading yeah. planning activity, which says. My job is to say, I want you to dislocate this area. I want you to build a product that does X in order to achieve this outcome. And then there is a cascading down to the next level. Yeah. Okay. Marketing, what do you have to do? Engineering, what do you have to do? Product, what do you have to do? And then once again, there is a cascading. Okay. In product, we have five product managers. Guys, what are we going to need to do to do this? So I think that, that's a bit which we've got to be really careful about, which is it's not that a grand vizier says, I have the words of wisdom. It's designed with this idea of, I know that my plan, there has to be multiple planning process. And you, you said this a, mm. a, a number of episodes ago where you, I think you talked about how there's a rule of timing.
1: One third, two
0: thirds. One third, two, third. One third yeah. to two thirds. I, I, again, I mean, we we're, I, I'm probably really guilty of this, which is I say, I think business is quite bad at this. And that's probably means I'm quite bad at this rather than business. But I've seen far too often that the clever people get in a room for quarterly planning. They spend two really hard and exciting days to come up with a plan. Yeah. And then the last 10 minutes say, if you can now go to your teams and plan this, Yeah. Okay, the one thing I can assure you doesn't happen is that those people don't go into a room for two days with their teams, who go into a room for, with their yeah. team for two. That I think that's that's where often this falls down, where as you go down the cascading planning, your, your effectiveness potentially decreases, particularly when you have to be creative. And I wonder whether the military perhaps benefits from... As you get further down the line, there's perhaps less and less creativity and more and more go do a thing. But I I worry that in business, you have to be
1: creative from top to bottom. You spend two days at the top,
0: you spend five minutes in a team meeting at the bottom, and you don't get the same effect.
1: I'm I'm not sure I agree with you in terms of there's less creativity as you go down, because actually I think some of the most creative people, some of the most... Uh, some of the largest requirements for creativity come at that very tactical level and i guess it's
0: mission it's command that's mission command. the whole command. that's
1: Absolutely. the whole point so how do i you know seize that objective when you told me there was you know a company on this position and there were 2 envelope bunkers mm-hmm. and and now i've arrived and it's not like that at all and now i have to be really creative and and so i i, I take No, you're probably issue. right. You're
0: probably right. But it's the, the, the principle there that says we spend so much time focusing, if I get the right answer yes. at the top, it'll yeah. all work out.
1: And there's, there's a danger of either, naval gazing around that strategic problem. You know, what does the future of Iraq look like? Well, we're going to spend six months thinking about what the future of Iraq looks like and then give, you know, the military four days to invade and make it work whereas actually you're never going to be able to predict what the future of iraq looks like versus the the counter argument of i'm going to spend six months thinking into the nth degree about what each individual piece of this activity is going to be and therefore when you know the moment something changes in that dynamic environment the whole plan falls apart are we back to operational art It's creativity, it's analysis. But what's, I think, fundamental to all of this is recognising that you're asking the right questions. Yep. Recognising that you're getting the information from the right sources to answer those questions and enabling that to happen. And that's a whole different podcast around how intelligence and surveillance and reconnaissance works. Being humble enough to recognise everything you do is to a greater or lesser extent based on flawed assumptions, based on flawed information and needs testing and recognizing the limit of your command. Where is it that you are adding value? And where is it that when you either don't give it enough attention, you're remiss and adding risk, or you give it too much attention, you're taking away from somebody else who's in a better position to analyse the problem. You're taking from their time, overly controlling and constraining this their activities. This is
0: hard stuff, isn't it? Really I'm, I, I'm I'm reminded with a very practical thing, and I, I know, I think we're into the territory now where we will repeat many of the concepts we've spoken about in many episodes. Um, communication huge without good communication. And I had an example not that long ago where we had come up with a very clear set of strategic goals. We had thought about a plan we were executing on the plan. And someone said to me, Oh, I thought we were doing that other thing that we were doing last month. And what that proved to me was we had failed fundamentally at communicating this is the new plan. And and, uh, I have to believe in the military, this is true. But in in business, a good business is adapting and evolving as you go. Maybe a better way of saying this is go talk to someone on the ground floor, someone at mid-management and someone you haven't spoken to recently at a senior level and say, what is it you think we are focused on right now? What is our plan? I guess what I'm saying is everything we've talked about in this podcast in the last podcast assumes a happy path. It yes. assumes yeah, we yeah, did yeah, it yeah. well. Yeah. It assumes we understood the outcome. It assumes we'd identified all of these things. And in this particular case, I gave, it assumes that it was communicated effectively. So yes. maybe, maybe when we talk about inspect and adapt, and we talk about sort of this analysis and looking at truthfully, part of that is, did we do a good job making sure everyone understood what they were supposed to bloody be doing?
1: Yeah, this is why. When you, I think we're going to do a whole podcast on, uh, you know, how valuable are military lessons to to the business world, and and how much of this is a little bit self indulgent? Because sometimes we take the wrong lessons. Sometimes, you know, this this Gordon Gecko idea of you know military aggression, winning, Sun Tzu's kind of, you know, ideas. And, and we can, I think we're going to go into We that can, in but, I, but I... But the real value in this is not about aggression. It's not about focusing on the enemy. It's not about killing the opposition. The value in this for business is it's about understanding that the only way to deal with complex problems is to have an organization that has clear lines of communication, clear lines of command. And we've talked about the difficulty in the word command in the business world. But ultimately, all we mean is really, really clear identification of who has what authority, what responsibility, and what accountability, where. And more importantly, as the information changes, and in a dynamic, complex environment, it is, and we all live in this VUCA world, are we able to free flow information such that the organisation as a whole can adapt to apply its capability, to apply its tactics in order to meet its strategic objective? And I want to, we look at military history and we focus on various things. And, you know, Normandy is a massive part of our, you know, military focus, because it was such a big part of our history, and Trafalgar, and, mm. you know, I think one of the biggest lessons for business from military history is so the Battle of the Bulge, where if you compare it to Normandy, they weren't dissimilar in size and scale and complexity. Arguably, there's some slight more complexity in Normandy, given the terrain. But Are we can have a
0: how much they had time to plan it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The OOEA frameworks, the outcomes, objectives, effects, actions, were practised, rehearsed, delegated, tried, tested. And of course, on D-Day, it all went wrong. The people landed, the airborne forces landed in the wrong places. And, you know, the tide drifted, some of the landing crafts, and they landed at the wrong parts of the beach. And, stuff tactical stuff went wrong but operationally it was a well-rehearsed plan people understood their roles the communication flows had had chance to permeate through and so we should we should probably really really well battle of the bulge well we should talk about what that
0: is because we we talk about it like we know the battle of the bulge was um post normandy so the allies had um successfully had a beachhead in normandy and were pushing towards germany and as winter came in 44 end of 44 Uh, the the Germans decided to have their last sort of throw of the dice in the West. And there was the last very significant offensive. And so the point was that the the allies had been on the offensive and in control.
1: Had the initiative.
0: And then very, very quickly, there was a very serious um, uh, attack, which created this bulge in the line around places like Bastogne and things like that. And so the point being... The, the Allied invasion in Normandy had had a significant period of planning and communication and thought. The Battle of the Bulge was not what the Allies expected. They believed that the Germans didn't have the equipment. Yeah. And to your point, in an unfavorable situation with the um, initiative with the Germans, all of a sudden they had to defend and actually overcome. Yeah. And just spoiler alert, they did. Of course. Yeah. But, but it was... To your point because of those things. But it was
1: it was bloody awful. There were organizational units that didn't have ammunition. They were supposed to fly out to Guam. There were forces that were supposed to be relieved in place, that means, you know, mm-hmm. replaced by another unit that's fresh, that were having to stay on the line for months and months and months. The the whole thing could have collapsed in chaos. And I think the lesson for business here is when a massive disruption happens when you talk about resilience when you talk about adaptability when you talk about the ability to apply good leadership good command good management when you've got time you can get away with it when you're hit in the face as you know Mike Tyson says everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face that's when the value of the operational art really shows itself because what you've done is you've aligned what you want to achieve strategically to tactically what capabilities you've got. And as the situation around you changes faster than you can cope, faster than you can really make sense of, that cohesion between these two things remains. And people on the ground don't know what's going on, who aren't getting clear information, who aren't resourced, they haven't gone through lots of rehearsals, they're not properly trained to do it but they are experienced they're empowered they understand their purpose they understand the overarching purpose and they take the information they've got at their local level I call that edge processing and then they start to make decisions and coherence happens as a result not as a directed,
0: Activity. well it goes back to what we said i think in the, in the first episode that we talked about operational art which is i think there was a discussion about i mean in, in that particular example it was do you build relationships with your other functions take the time to build relationships and other functions because one day you'll need them yes and you don't have time to say well if we're going to do the thing let's set up three meetings in the battle of the bulge example or you know you know th- this idea of um, in, in business, when when a competitor drops a new product and all your customers run to it, you don't have time to say, well, let's have five meters. Yeah. You say we need to do this. I, I want to come back to something because, I don't know, um, maybe it's a late on a Friday night and I, 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 I'm I even being too defensive. You said something really interesting there about how valuable are the military – lessons to business and business to military. And I know this almost goes back to the very first episode, and maybe this is, we because we've talked about this enough, it's able to do this. I don't fundamentally believe that somehow military, the military has answers, and therefore all business has to do is listen, and vice versa. Yeah. The magic of what this is, and, and hopefully this is, the people who have stuck with us and listened find this interesting is, there is no simple answer. In fact, this th- maybe we need to change the name of the podcast. This is the art of leadership and business, because it is about the reason why I like using these anchors of business and military is not because one of them is right and therefore you should learn that. It yeah. is these are are two ways to discuss the same thing yes that provide yeah, yeah. comparison and I, contrast i don't think which works really really well no i don't think we yeah, were but it's yeah. i think it's interesting because I, I, also, a, I
1: don't think we need to change the name because the, the whole person the name is battling with business yeah, yeah. the idea of like you know well thank
0: could you imagine people would never find well, us on yeah on Apple. talking about
1: hairball around and, and and sort of we're battling with this idea and so I, I don't know when you say Well, that. but it's, it's the... the, the oh, you're I, right, you're right. And, and there's one of the things this last couple of episodes has perhaps been a lot more of me talking about, well, the way we do it and what you should do. But of course, there are huge amounts of this that the business world does really, really well, that, or bits of the business world yeah really well, that bits of the military do terribly. And so, you know, I've got this brilliant book in front of me, ADP Operations, uh, and yeah, lots of really great stuff in here. But there's lots of examples of yeah. getting it wrong. And there's well, lots of examples of us. Uh, you know, and and much of this text itself, you know, actually exposes the fact that we're not as adaptive as we perhaps. And can. and I think the re-
0: the reason why I want to talk about that was rather than rather than suggest that there's a there's a difference here, or rather than try to make a case for either the military or civilians. Actually, I think this is, you know, talking directly to the listener, which is please do not think we are going to give you an answer. No. A, because I don't think we've got the answer, but actually the, the explicit purpose of this podcast is to get you to, the person who is listening to go away and say, I have heard these different perspectives. What yeah. does it now mean for me, given my Way and for my business. And so I, I w- success, I think, for me is if a hundred, a 1, thousand, two thousand people, he said optimistically mm-hmm. about people listening to this, go back to their businesses and interpret this for themselves. And that that is, you know, just to almost to sort of finish us off for today, is that is the operational art, which yeah. is if you think listening to a podcast is going to give you all the answers or a book or a doctrine document that I think maybe that's the best bit of wisdom we can provide. That is not going to make you win because by the way, the enemy can read the book, the enemy can read your, listen to the podcast. It's that combination. And and that's kind of what we hope to stimulate.
1: Yeah. I I think there's a, there's a fascinating sort of paradox, isn't there? Between the things the military is finding really hard right now are the things that the commercial world do daily and the things that the commercial world are finding really hard are the things that the military world do daily and this this crossover this cross-pollination is really important strategy is not a sidebar activity so quite a lot of organizations i think get this wrong and i'm talking about Commercial organisations that I've worked with over the last five or six years, but also military organisations that are not involved in campaign operations overseas, and, and it's almost like we forget the rules and we forget the doctrine when we come home and we're procuring know, Op- military vehicles or you know hey, whatever it's, we're doing.
0: It's, it's ops normal.
1: Asia, a, I, I just great have example. to. But, I, I just have to
0: keep doing what I'm doing every day. Yeah, and, and
1: what we end up doing is taking this idea of strategic thinking being the overarching, what is it we're trying to do over the long term, under conditions of uncertainty. Tactics is what we do every day, it's operations. Whether that's, you know, helicopters flying, tanks rolling across planes, soldiers running, you know, through positions, or building software. Whether it's building software, or, you know, turning up at your desk every day. That is tactics, you're doing stuff, you're applying capability. This operational art city in the middle, quite often what we see is operational art at the top, people trying to work out what to do with their capability, telling people who've got capability what to do, applying mission command or various management strategies in good or bad ways, and then outsourcing this idea of long-term thinking and change and change management and behavioural management and cultural change and all of this stuff as if it's some magic capability that has to be outsourced to some consultancy. I'm doing myself out of a huge amount of work. I was just wondering where you are going with this. (laughs) As if specialist people need to come in and do this because I manage the organisation day to day and therefore I need somebody else to write the strategy. Absolute bollocks. The strategy is what drives the operational art, which is what tells people what they should be doing now and how that drives forward the organisation. And too often I get either as a consultant told to go and write a strategy, not facilitate the senior leadership of the organisation in writing the strategy, or I get organisations that talk about cohering ends, ways, and means. So ends being, you know, what we want to achieve, ways is process and means is, you know, people and capability, in order to achieve next quarter's goals. And no thought at all about what is the point? What are we measuring? And, and so you end up back in that state of, we're going to measure what we can measure, we're going to measure what we've done before, and if the numbers go up, that's a good thing. Well, I
0: mean, that's we're going to measure activity, or we're going to celebrate activity, rather yeah. than we're going to celebrate. I, I think that's true, and I, I, I uh, to defend your your sort of day job, I think your point is bang on, which is the secret is about there are people that can help you facilitate. Rather than people who can tell you the answer. Yeah. If you need someone yeah. to tell you the answer, you kind of shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. If you want someone to help facilitate, because they can bring diversity, allow you to think differently, you know, yeah, uh, red, challenge bias, red team, that
1: that I think the is the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pleased you me because that's kind of what I do. But well, but I
0: think it's I, I do, I do. I historically I use the word consultancy as a negative term. In other words, you'll often say I don't need people who are consultants. And I, the reason why I would say that, by the way, again, not now. Look, it's gone the other way. Now I'm now I'm stopping. But the, no, I the, agree with you. The, agree. the phrase for me about yeah. consultancy represents people who have a significant impact on your business or your activities that have no skin in the game. Yeah. And so if if to, I, the reason why I'm saying that is. If you say, I want someone to come in and write me a strategy, you are inviting someone who has no skin in the game to have a significant impact on what you're doing.
1: I I disagree. They do have skin in the game. They just have a very different Uh, strategic objective.
0: Very, very well said. They have a a different motivation and outcome they're looking for. But if you are inviting a consultant to facilitate, advise, provide perspectives, I think think that's good.
1: Look, on
0: that bombshell (laughs) that it turns out, that Gareth is available <laughs> for this kind of work and facilitation. Let's call it a day. I think we've, you know, it's this classic thing where we've scratched that itch a little bit more. So maybe there'll be a future episode where we come back and say, yeah. okay, what would that, could that actually look like? And I've got some examples I've yeah, used in the past yeah. to see. All right. Well, look, uh, thank you for, for those of you who have stuck by us. You know, we have a, remarkably now, we have a back catalog. Um, as we always say, um, we would love to hear from you. We are on Twitter at battlingwithbiz, biz with a Z. Uh, we are also on email. Gareth, remind me, what's our email address? Because it's not got the Z.
1: Battlingwithbusiness full word, at gmail.com.
0: Excellent. So we look forward to people who want to use that. Tell us you're alive. Tell us whether you violently disagree or whether this has been useful to you. Remarkably, I think we may also even be on YouTube now because apparently that's what all the cool kids are doing. And so I get to say, and I'm so excited to say this, smash the like button. I believe that's what the kids <laughs> like say on Like and subscribe. This. Like and subscribe. But um, thank you for joining us. We hope this has been interesting to you. For those of you on long car journeys, listening to us, uh, safe driving. And otherwise, it's um, thanks and good night from me.
1: Good night from me, cheerio